Well, good morning. I don't know. I think the rain's encouraging people to uh, be baptized because I had a swamp by my house, and anytime you feel the urge, come by, and I'm that flat piece of ground. There's plenty of places to baptize you. So. Let me put this over here. This thing's not looking at me the right way. Let me address that. When I wrote this lesson, I guess I was thinking about last week and everything that was going on. And, and for those of you that are not Roman Catholics, then today's your Easter, right? So all you Roman Catholics celebrated Easter last week. But this week is for the Greek Orthodox. So I'm not sure which persuasion you consider yourself at. So anyhow, it's always, a, you know, I, in, in the past I, I had a tendency not to uh, talk much about, it was like we could talk about the resurrection on any single Sunday we wanted to, but not on what we call Easter Sunday. And we kind of avoided that at all costs in a lot of ways. And I, I do that a lot less as time goes on because it is a time when the world seems to be paying attention to uh, the message of the cross. It's a time when, you know, it's, everyone for a brief moment is hearing this gospel and, and just see what Paul says here. He goes, for what I deliver to you is first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. As Paul starts out that letter, and really, that's the theme it, you will see in all of Paul's letters. This is what matters. If this doesn't matter, nothing else matters. And we live in a day and a time where there's less and less people that believe. Matter of fact, you, there's, there's all kinds of different surveys they take, and it's never quite... Uh, uh, sure how accurate they are like how many people attend church on any given morning you know in in the united states of america and somebody came up one time with a percentage of over 40 percent but then they also had they they found out that that was kind of i forget there, there's a specific term for it but the term i like to use is it's called the lying factor uh you would like to th say that there, there, another example is how many people voted go out and do that survey for the president last time well, if, if you do the survey of how many people voted, and then you compare that to the actual real votes that came in, you know how people are always worrying that somebody's voting that's not on the, um, on the that's not actually registered, not real? Uh, well, the numbers we come up with that actually voted is a whole lot less than people that are surveyed, because everybody kind of wants to join in and say, yeah, I did the right thing. But if you add up the attendance figures, I guess in the past, used to have a figure of about 17% of, of the United States with the church on a regular basis. That number is down now to about 11%. And in a few years, they, if it continues the way it's going, it'll probably be down to 10% if you know, things are not changed. I say that because we have a world that less and less believes in the miraculous. And so I think it's good for us to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. And a fact, matter of fact, in today's world, there are people who go to church that don't even believe in the resurrection. Do you know that? that as odd as that may seem, they say, well, it, it's a, it's, it was a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a really miraculous. Well, no, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. <coughs> we believe that he lived as a real human being and he died on the cross. 
And three days later, a miracle took place. He rose from the grave. Uh, the people that really don't believe this have failed really to, to investigate the facts. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that's even people within the church. Sometimes we have that hard time believing all these things. And the resurrection is God's greatest gift to mankind. Uh, I can't think of anything that would surpass that. What's interesting is I'm not sure we always see that as, as the greatest gift. But I think I'm among a group of people here who believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe that he lived physically, believe that he died physically, and believe that when he rose from the grave, he didn't just rise. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a spirit. He was physically raised from the dead. Remember what he says to Thomas? Go ahead. Put your fingers here. Take your hand. Put it over here on the side. He truly believed. We truly believe that he did raise from the dead. Now there's a problem I, I think we have. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that he died for our sins. There's another miracle that I think we equally need to believe. And that's the miracle of grace. Now the problem is I'm not telling you that you don't teach on grace or that you, you know, if somebody asks you, you know, one, I won't ask for a show of hands. I might, I might be uh, embarrassed or disappointed. I don't know. But hopefully if I'd say, can you, who can quote Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, we could do it as a chorus. You know, we could even divide up in the four part harmony, I guess, if you wanted to. We believe in the story of grace. We teach on it. But when I say, help me in my unbelief, this, we, we quote Mark chapter 16, verse 16. If you believe and you've been baptized, you'll be saved. Now, I remember, you know, Mark chapter 9, where I'm quoting there, that has nothing to do with baptism, but I think it has everything to do with the way our hearts and our spirits operate. You know, the, the boy had a demon, and the, he comes to the Lord and says, can you get him out? Can I? And finally, he says, well, I believe that he backs it up with a little bit of a statement that I think describes a lot of us. Help my unbelief. And I really think sometimes we preach about grace, we talk about grace, we quote scriptures about grace, we sing songs about grace. I'm not sure we embrace grace. Because I think in this room right now, there are people who are struggling with forgiveness. There are people who are struggling with the idea that I have failed and I have messed up. And often we question our own salvation. I ask you to raise your hand. Are you saved? You know, you've been taught to raise your hand. Actually, when I was a kid, if you said, who in here is saved? If it's something about the kind of preaching that was going about on back in those days, you might get two or three people to raise their hands, so the rest of them would look at them and say, oh, really? <laughs> well, we've kind of changed that today. We've got it where I think if I say, who in here is saved? I would hope that every hand would go up. There, we got a couple of hands. It's just like the 1960s. Only three people raised their hands. Okay. <laughs> nah, you didn't know you were supposed to, did you? <laughs> but we'll raise our hands. And we'll proclaim it that way. But in the dark, in the loneliness, we question it. 
We'll tell other people about grace. We'll tell other people that there's no sin too big, there's, that God can't forgive, there's no life too far away from God that he cannot restore them. For some reason, we just don't think it really applies to ourselves, to me. It's for the other guys, for the other cow. That's why I wish you would read your Bibles more. And read them with me, because I think together we might learn things. You know, I, I, I keep telling people I've got these, these open schedules. It's the truth. I do. I know, and, if, and if I don't fill these time slots with Bible studies, my wife will fill them with something else. So come on. Just... <laughs> Genesis to Revelation overflows with grace. Now, we might miss that because we have our own standards of what we think grace is about, our own values, our own interpretation of what a good life is all about. But by the time you get to the New Testament, grace breaks forth like a mighty chorus in those 27 books, each one contributing its note, its chord, its, its measure of a song that God is singing to us. It's the song of grace. It's hard to know exactly where you're supposed to start when you, when you think about God's Word. But if you notice at the very beginning, you know where I'm starting now. And I apologize, I'm here today, I'll be gone for two weeks, and then I'll be back, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Ephesians. My main topic is going to be grace, but I can't think of a better place to boil it down, I guess, than the book of Ephesians. And I'm not even telling you that that's the number one theme of of Ephesians. But Ephesians takes grace and makes some mighty points for the local church. But if you read in there, the verse that I was hoping you could all quote is this one right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. No greater hope, no greater gift or understanding exists than this proclamation. Whatever your past might be, Regardless of your pain, your shame, or your guilt, God offers grace. He offers it to the one who believes. Now, there's always a problem and when you're a reductionist, when you, when you try and take and boil everything down to, to one simple statement. It, it really doesn't ever work well, and so I apologize for that at the beginning. When God decided how to explain grace best to you, he used this many pages. And I put it on one slide. So sometimes when we do this, we just get it down to one verse. It's hard to know where to start. And sometimes that single sentence brings more misunderstanding than understanding and half-truths more than full truths. So you have to dig deeper. You have to look longer. And we're only going to be studying about grace mainly. I'll, 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 I'll wander a little bit, but mainly out of the book of Ephesians as we go through this. And for you to truly understand God's grace and his gift for you, not even the 66 books of the Bible explain it all. Mark sounds like a heretic at this point, but I joined the ranks of the Apostle Paul. Because he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. 
Grace is a whole lot bigger. Life is a whole lot bigger than anything that I'm able to explain and anything that God has found a way to explain in the scriptures that he's found so many ways to explain it to you and explain it to me. I'd say there's a... If you look at the different books of the scriptures, these are the four that stand out to me the most when, it, when I'm thinking about grace. Now maybe, maybe you have one that's not on this list. But Ephesians, Romans, Galatians, and the Gospel of John in particular have this intense focus on God's grace for us. Each one has his own theme, his own message. Sometimes just sit down and read these four books. Open your Bible up and set a notepad next to you. And, why, and you know, I, I always tell you to do these silly exercises, and I know nobody does them, but I wish you would. But read these books and set a notepad down next to you and focus every time the topic or the idea of grace appears. You don't have to just see the word for that. I guess you can get your exhaustive concordance and just you know, write them down that way. But just read through and see where ideas and the focus of grace appears in these four letters. If you do that with a little note card next to you, you're going to need several note cards. I want to talk about grace, but I want to talk about the book of Ephesians. And when we talk about this, and that we're going to back up and do just a hair of a Bible study here, and I always tell people about this, this is usually something more for Sunday nights or the 10 o'clock hour. But we're not doing this exactly the way I normally like to do it. Normally when I like to go through a book, I like to do what's called exegesis, and that's a wild, funny word just to make you know that I went to college. <laughs> It's an important word, even though you're not going to find it in most conversations. And basically, every time, if you really want to truly understand God's word, just don't go and, you know, grab a scripture and point at it and, and think you have something there. No. Look and try to understand it. What, what was the original intention of this message when this letter was written? Who did he write it to? And who was the one that wrote it? I got that backward from what I wrote there, don't I? And here's the biggest question. Why did he write it? What was going on at the particular time that demanded this letter? Only then can you take it and finally apply it to how it works for us today. It really is important that we go through this little exercise. With that said, I am straying a little bit from Ephesians' main theme because the number one thing of, of Ephesians is unity. It's a call for a unity among the church of various races, various ethnic groups, religious backgrounds, social economic strata, even among various ages, groups, and genders. Sounds like something on a political campaign. It is God's grace <coughs> as it is lived out by the people, a diverse group of people. And that alone should challenge us because I, can, I know we're, we're kind of isolated here, but we should be welcoming of everyone, regardless of who they are or who they were. So here's Paul's theme for this book. He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God, and the manifold, that's just, you know, it's just overlapping. Over, I describe it better, every time I try to describe manifold, I only get the mechanics with me. So let, let, let's get the seamstress with me too. The tapestry. You know how you get all those different threads and colors and patterns, and if you were to come up close, it looks like nothing. 
Could you stand back and see the beautiful picture that's been created? The tapestry, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God is revealed to the world not because we are the best at debating, not because we have the best doctrinal arguments, but it's revealed to the world when we are united in love for one another, toward one another, through our own diversity. And all of this is based on grace. The message of Ephesians is not one for social reform. And a lot of people will look at the scriptures and they think, how can we apply this worldwide? You can't. I, I know there's things in there that, yes, yes, obviously it applies worldwide. But how can we take this message and change the world? You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. Argue with me later on that one. Because what the message of Ephesians is actually saying is how can we as people under the grace of God be the wisdom of God? It is not for social reform or to talk about the need for self-esteem. It is not about the need for even diversity that is being discussed in this letter. But the need, the necessity for a unity of believers. And they find their hope their breath, their life in the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. So as we look through grace, as we go through the book of Ephesians, I've got to back up a little bit. You, 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 know what? you, you buy products on television. I remember years ago, my dad and I both bought the same stupid weed trimmer. We saw it on TV. And it's telling you what it could do and couldn't do. Well, they lied. But a lot of times they don't lie. They just put it in the fine print that, you know, they have men who are speed readers who make a living out of seeing how quick they can read the warranty so you don't understand it. Or they put it in fine print. And so sometimes these disclaimers, you know, the electric hair dryer is great for hair, just don't use it in the bathtub. That would be a good disclaimer. Pizza eaten in excess might cause you to gain weight. And this car might do speeds of over 100 miles an hour, but we don't recommend it. Things that you do will void the warranty. Are there any things that will void the warranty of grace with God? Well, remember what Paul said. And, and normally I say no, because I love this passage from Romans where he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths nor... Any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sounds like a pretty solid warranty, doesn't it? Kind of makes you want to go Motown. Ain't no mountain high. Oh, yeah, you don't want to hear me sing. And you'd be right, except for one thing. There's one thing that's going to throw this whole thing into a tizzy. Were you expecting that one? And it's critical that you grasp a hold of this before you go any further. And unfortunately, this is the exact place where people get confused, misdirected, and sometimes lost in the conversation. So we're going to read a verse from Ephesians that might need a little explaining. And maybe more explaining than I, I'm going to give you today. Maybe we'll have to pick up with it again when I get back. 
But here's the disclaimer. Nothing can separate you from the love of God but you. That might make you a little nervous. So let's look at what Paul says. He starts this letter off and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice how he says it. The ones who are faithful. Now, that, again, might need a little explaining to do because what he is not saying is he's not saying those who are not worthy or are worthy. He's not saying that the gospel is for the people who try real hard. He's not saying that the gospel or that grace is for the one who accomplishes great deeds. He's not saying that grace is for those people who never fail and never mess up and never stumble. It's just for those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Take this verse and follow it through with what Paul says throughout all of his writings, and you kind of get this idea here. The grace, the faithful in Christ Jesus, are those who just won't quit. And you take that again, that might be another notepad. Go through all the times, and this time I'm not just going to give you uh, those four books, but take your entire New Testament for a start, because you're going to need to kill a tree if you're going to go through the entire Bible. But go through your New Testament and see how many times they encourage you, don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Don't turn away. How is it that John the Apostle says that? He goes, you just keep walking in the light. Because yes, you're going to fall, you're going to stumble, but you get back up. He who walks in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, I hate to throw the Greek at you, but it's not just cleanses you from sin, it is continually cleanses you from sin. It's present progressive. As you walk in the light, as you stumble, as you sin, his blood keeps cleansing you from all sins. The gospel, the grace, are for those who are faithful in Christ Jesus and those who just refuse to quit. Don't let that scare you. It's actually the greatest encouragement I think we can give right there. Grace is yours. You know what the word hallelujah means? And we just think hallelujah is a term of excitement. I'll tell you sometime about the the mule that stopped on on amen and and ran fast on hallelujah, but that's for another day. Hallelujah means Lord come, save now. So when you think about grace, You should be thinking, Lord, come, save now. Obviously, there's some things, like Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And uh, the translation I have says, of course not, that's stupid. Grace is not a matter of performance. But at the same time, it is something you take hold of, you grab a hold of. And grace is a gift. It is what's been given to you. But you've got to hold on to it. Go through your Bible sometime and look up the word tenacity. Unfortunately, you will find it zero times, at least not in my Bible. As far as I know, it's not there. But then tenacity is that drive that says, 
I am here. I will not surrender. I will not quit. I will not give up. I will push forward regardless. Now take that attitude and start reading your Bible. It's on every page. Here's one way you can describe the Bible story. We have a God who will not give up on you. Therefore, you do not give up on God. And therefore, you do not give up on yourself. And while we're there, don't give up on me either. Or other people. Let's end this morning with this firmly planted in your heart. This is also from the first chapter of Ephesians. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose you before the foundation of the world that we would be wholly blameless before him in love. I love if you just go through there and look at the things that we get because grace has been given to you. Grace gives you peace. Grace gives you blessedness, holiness, blameless. I like that blameless a whole lot. And grace comes in love. We've got to be tenacious. We've got to hold on and be firm. And we must be unrelenting. This is where you win. And what you win is the greatest blessings and that you could ever imagine. Paul ends his letter with these words. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. The question is, is this truly what you desire? Grace is going to be the greatest story that you could ever imagine for yourself. It's not going to be somebody else's story. We'll work on that later on. Until we, until we get the log, until Mark gets the log out of his own eye, I really don't have much to say. Uh, I talk a lot anyhow. But first you get it down for yourself. Then we'll work on others. I think when you truly understand the majesty and the greatness of the gift of God through that resurrection, and that it's not for that person, it's for you. Yes, even last week, and even next week. When we have that down, we've got a message to share. But the first question you have to answer is, is this really what I want for myself? If it is, he calls you to obey his, his call of faith. You, you've heard the message. You've heard, heard it. You've heard part of it. You've heard much of it. Hopefully you understand he is the Christ, the Son of God, and he has risen from the dead because he died on the cross for your sins. And when they asked Peter, they said, what do we do? They were cut to the heart. It really does have to be that emotional response. He said, repent, change. Obviously, that should, shouldn't really disturb you at all, but because you've already seen the way you've been going is a losing battle. So repent and be immersed, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Ah, and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. If this is where you're at, now is the time. Whatever you need, we ask you to come now as we stand and sing.